Today, we're talking about Logan Paul getting exposed again by CoffeeZilla, the Supreme Court dropping absolute bombshells, including some with absolute bombshell twists, why you've got people screaming that Hollywood's failing, YouTube scammers getting sentenced to jail time, France is on fire. We're gonna talk about all that and so much more on today's brand new Philip DeFranco show, so buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. Starting with the most American of things, consumerism. Because with tomorrow being July 4th, we thought, what better way to celebrate than 30% off everything over at BeautifulBastard.com. And the size of your card doesn't matter. This applies to $8 sticker packs, $80 Primo backpacks, and everything in between. Those awesome emotionally exhausted embroidered hoodies and tees, those change your life because they smell so good candles, and even the cargo pants. As long as supplies last and or uh, when July 4th ends. Then you missed out back to regular pricing. All you gotta do is pick what you want, and when you're checking out, enter in promo code MERICA. If you add the A, not gonna work. It's MERICA. And then, Logan Paul reportedly still hasn't refunded the people who were allegedly scammed and screwed in his crypto zoo scheme. Or if you don't remember, earlier this year, he promised to reimburse disappointed players after CoffeeZilla accused his crypto zoo venture of essentially being a rug pull scam. And now, with it being six months since that promise, CoffeeZilla uploaded a new video claiming that Logan still hasn't followed through on that promise. Logan Paul has not paid back his victims. He hasn't talked about it since he first announced he was going to pay them back. And what's worst of all, he doesn't seem to have a plan in place to refund anyone. With CoffeeZilla saying he has repeatedly reached out to Logan to ask about the status of the refund, but saying for months and months he heard nothing back until Logan's legal team reached out saying that Logan had informed the team of CoffeeZilla's inquiries and... Mr. Paul remains committed to this process. We are working with Mr. Paul to evaluate the best way to achieve this goal. In the meantime, please direct to our attention any further inquiries to Mr. Paul. Thank you for your patience and understanding. Which CoffeeZilla said, hey, that might sound like a good response at first, but arguing it actually shows just how little progress has actually been made with Coffee saying, uh, so you're still at the whiteboard then? Guys, this is a statement you say when you have no plan, or you're stalling. With him going on to say that there could be a handful of reasons that Logan has made no progress or statements here, including the fact that he's facing a lawsuit over CryptoZoo. And while he argued that he didn't think the lawsuit would be a good excuse, it would likely be something Logan references when justifying his silence. Though also saying there's a chance Logan just doesn't want to pay the money back or is stalling, which he says would be unacceptable for the people who want their money back. Though obviously, with this last part here, we're living in a land of speculation. When no full updates or statements are being made, it, it makes sense why people are there. And then, one of YouTube's biggest scammers is now going to prison. And before you start saying it in the comments, I'm not talking about like Austin McBroom or Logan Paul, but instead a guy by the name of Jose Tehran. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, it's because Jose wasn't actually a content creator at all. Instead, he and his co-conspirators were able to scam $23 million from content creators over five years just using YouTube's own content ID tool. And while they were able to do this for a while, things started to fall apart back in 2019 when the IRS started looking into bank accounts opened under fake names linked to Jose. And we now know all the exact details because in 2022, Tehran's partner in crime, Webster Batista Fernandez, admitted guilt, forcing Tehran to finally admit to everything earlier this year, and now he's getting sent to five years in prison. And with this, we gotta talk about how the scam worked. So starting in 2017, Tehran and Batista started the record label Media Mov. Except in reality, Media Mov didn't really represent any clients. Instead, these two would just identify songs that didn't seem to be represented by anyone on YouTube's content ID system and then claim ownership of those songs. And that would allow them to put claims on videos using those songs and get the revenue and royalties. With the two eventually even getting to a point where they had eight employees just scouring YouTube for recorded songs that were just not actively monetized. And then they just claimed that they owned them. However, there was this hurdle they had to get past. Right? Just starting a record label doesn't get you access to YouTube's content ID backend known as CMS. Which I will say, I know there are a lot of complaints that people abuse the system, but the reality is that it's actually a fairly closed system with relatively few companies having access to it. In fact, it's so closed that most creators and large media companies don't even have direct access to that backend, instead relying on digital rights management companies to handle their claims. And actually because of that, Tehran's MediaMov had to partner with digital rights company AdRev to put in claims for its 50,000 stolen songs. And even though this gives AdRev a small cut of the proceeds, it also has the added benefit of adding a layered facade to the whole scam. Because when AdRev would claim a video with the 
stolen song, it would just tell the uploader that AdRev was claiming the song. It didn't have to say that it was for MediaMove. And this also let MediaMove avoid the other copyright option on YouTube, the DMCA takedown, which is really important because that entire process is mandated by law and it would open up MediaMove to much more scrutiny about its actual ownership of those songs. But all in all, this partnership with AdRev led to $23 million stolen from content creators, 6 million of which Taran is believed to have pocketed himself. And the rest being split between Batista, who has also been in prison, and possibly upwards of five other conspirators who have yet to be charged. But what possibly led to Taran's downfall was the fact that he refused to back down when content creators pushed back against his claims. Because the reality here is that this scam isn't a new one, but normally the scammers just target songs with multiple rights holders, such as remixes, where they go after videos using a ton of infringing content like compilations in order to get a portion of the money and hide among all the other claimants. But Jose was different. He forcefully tried to get 100% of the revenue. But also with the situation, you have people going, yeah, we got the individual actors, but also there's a big question about AdRev's culpability. Because so far, they haven't been in any legal trouble and they have fully cooperated with the IRS and Arizona authorities, which has led people to believe they were legitimately duped. YouTube itself also managing to dodge getting in trouble, although the story just kind of highlights the frustrations many have with content ID. Or many feel that it's already widely abused and that there's gotta be a better way. Or like, how did MediaMov legitimately trick AdRev into thinking that they had a library of 50,000 songs when they were nobody? And then on top of that, what exactly is YouTube supposed to do to make sure that every claim is legitimate? And there seems to be a few angles that it tries, even though many feel like it isn't enough. First off, it tries to limit who actually has access to the content ID system, which on one hand, this forces creators and artists to work with third-party companies like AdRev, which can be frustrating because it gives them a cut and it takes the power away from the actual copyright holders. But on the other hand, it allows YouTube to only have to watch over a few major players in the space. And actually speaking of which, it's been going on a crusade over the last few years to remove companies with CMS access that don't meet certain standards. And that alongside implementing new rules that are supposed to make sure that companies more clearly state what they are claiming in videos. However, importantly, none of that exactly stops a situation like the thing that we're talking about today. Because as we've talked about on the show, it feels at times almost impossible to try to police things at this scale. Or even if there is a near perfect system, the stuff that slips through the cracks, you could still be talking about tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. And so at the very least, it's good to see some sort of accountability here. And, and you hope that it scares others away from like being a part of other things like this in the future. But honestly, when there's millions of dollars up for grabs, even if you're doing something illegal, people are going to try. And so in the meantime, we're going to have to wait to see what the, the big players, whether it be AdRev or YouTube, do to try to address these issues. And then Hollywood is flopping at the box office right now. We just had Indiana Jones 5, which reportedly cost $295 million before marketing, only bringing in $60 million this weekend. All but guaranteeing they're going to take a massive loss on that movie. Variety even reporting that it is in a worse position than The Flash, which is really saying something considering that movie cost $100 million less. Over the weekend, you also had Teenage Kraken releasing, which had some names attached to it, including YouTube's own Liza Koshy. That reportedly cost $70 million to make. It only made $5.2 million domestically. So we've seen people popping up saying, oh, is this the end of the movie theater? We're going to see one of the worst summers as far as the box office goes. And my non-expert opinion is I don't think necessarily. I mean, Across the Spider-Verse just brought in what, like $340 million domestically and it had a total of $600 million internationally so far. With what we saw over the last weekend, really just feeling like consumers have more choices. Right, going to the theater, especially if you're buying stuff at concessions, all that, like it costs a lot of money. And now I think consumers know like if something kind of bombs at the box office, they'll probably be able to get it on demand in four weeks. And people are already paying all these subscription fees or, you know, if they buy a movie, it's what, $20, boom, done, now I own it. And so for the people saying like, this does not bode well for the, the new Mission Impossible, Barbie, Oppenheimer, I, I don't find myself agreeing. And there generally being a lot of excitement about those movies. Whereas I think maybe I saw one trailer for Teen Kraken over the last three months. I wasn't even aware it was coming out. And no shade to the franchise. I just don't know how many people were like, I need Indiana Jones 5. But hey, all that said, that's the situation as it's played out. That's some of my opinion. And I'll pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts here? Do you see this as a concerning trend as far as movie theaters? Or no, these are just individual problems for individual movies. And then for any of you focus on getting your business off the ground, creating a place to share your homemade goods, or even a personal blog, I got a great solution for you today. And it's all thanks to the fantastic 
fantastic partner and sponsor of today's show, Squarespace. You know, I've been partnering with Squarespace for years now, and I have to say, it's just so easy. There's nothing ever to install, patch, or upgrade. And creating a beautiful website with Squarespace's Fluid Engine is so easy. You just drag things where you like, no coding necessary. And if you need a starting point, Squarespace is a bunch of great professional templates. Plus, with an online shop from Squarespace, you can sell virtually anything. Physical, digital, or service products. You can even sell custom merch easily. Squarespace handles the production and shipping. Plus, with Squarespace, you get access to all their marketing tools and analytics and their award-winning customer care team via email or live chat 24-7. So go check it out, see why so many others love it, see why it's gonna be perfect for you, and start your free trial today over at squarespace.com slash phil. And when you realize you love it, just make sure you enter an offer code phil to get 10% off your first purchase. And then, Twitter's quest to give users a beta-like experience has continued, with Elon Musk this weekend gifting users with rate limits. With Musk announcing on Saturday, to address extreme levels of data scraping and system manipulation, we've applied the following temporary limits. Verified accounts are limited to reading 6,000 posts a day, unverified accounts to 600 posts a day, and new unverified accounts to 300 a day. With him later updating incremental increases as time went on. Which I like to imagine he only increased because his chronically online ass was like, I need more Twitter. If I can't Twitter, what am I? Also, if you're wondering what does he mean by data scraping and system manipulation, he tried to explain on Friday saying, we were getting data pillaged so much that it was degrading service for normal users. With him even calling out ChatGPT in particular for allegedly collecting Twitter's data, which Elon tried to monetize by putting Twitter's API behind a paywall back in February. This alleged data scraping also being the same reason Musk gave on Friday for completely blocking users from even browsing tweets if they're not logged in. Whereas before, it would prompt you to log in, but you could decline and just keep using the site. You know, with this, over the weekend, people were not happy. Some not buying Elon Musk's excuses, saying this feels more in line with just penalizing users who aren't paying Twitter, and arguing this is more likely to penalize not bots, but genuine users. And one arguing it might be more effective to invest in developing robust security measures that can distinguish between human behavior and bot activities. But again, a lot of people felt like this was a push to make people subscribe to Twitter Blue, which if that's the case, would be pretty short-sighted because any limit on how much content users can consume is obviously going to hurt advertisers, which has really become a pain point for Twitter. But ultimately, in response to all this, Elon basically kind of just called everyone who was complaining losers, tweeting, you awake from a deep trance, step away from the phone and see your friends and family. Though to that, a number of people tweeted screenshots of an article about how one of Musk's kids want nothing to do with him. Musk also retweeting an Elon Musk parody account saying, the reason I said a view limit is because we are all Twitter addicts and need to go outside. I'm doing a good deed for the world here. Also, that's another view you just used. And all of this kind of leading uh, more and more people to want to see Musk get beat up by Mark Zuckerberg of all people. Especially as TMZ reported on Friday that Italy's culture minister even offered to host it at the ancient Colosseum in Rome. Zuckerberg reportedly passing on that message to UFC's Dana White, whose people contacted the culture minister. And Musk himself even tweeting some chance fight happens in Colosseum. Which has also led some to say if they're going to do it in the Colosseum, old school rules. Two men enter, one man leaves. And then, so we absolutely have to talk about the Supreme Court today. Because as we were gearing up for the 4th of July weekend, the conservative court just dropped some bombs. Deciding on Friday to massively undermine LGBTQ plus rights in a six to three decision with all three liberals dissenting. And specifically, this case involved a web designer in Colorado by the name of Lori Smith, who wanted to expand to wedding sites. But because of her Christian religious beliefs, she only wanted to design the sites for heterosexual couples and to put up a message on her page explaining the situation. The thing is though, that violated a Colorado non-discrimination law, so Smith sued, arguing the law violated her right to free speech. And in court filings, Smith and her lawyers cited a gay couple by the name of Stuart and Mike. And according to the filing, Stuart had reached out to Smith about hiring her for some design work and included his phone number, email address, and a link to his own design site. With that story being cited in other court documents as the case continued with Smith's lawyers using it when they were questioned about whether Smith had actually been receiving requests from gay couples, there being a question of, do you have sufficient grounds to sue? And so ahead of the Supreme Court's decision on this case, the New Republic reached out to Stewart using the unredacted contact info listed in the filings. But when the outlet asked him about his inquiry named in this case, he responded that this was the very first time I've heard of it. So yeah, it seems like the whole fucking story was made up. With Stewart claiming that he never sent the form, and what's more, he literally has been married to a woman for 15 years. 
And him saying, I wouldn't want anybody to make me a wedding website. I'm married. I have a child. I'm not really sure where that came from. But somebody's using false information in a Supreme Court filing document. And Stewart also relaying that same story to other outlets as well, explaining that because he's a web designer, he could have just designed his own site. And adding that he was concerned about the fact that no one seemed to have verified his story, saying there is a responsibility on the part of Lori Smith's lawyers and legal representatives to do their due diligence and make sure that this evidence is accurate. And what's more, Colorado's attorney general also seemed to back that up in a statement where he called the lawsuit a made-up case because Smith wasn't even offering wedding website services when she filed the suit. And while he didn't provide specifics, he condemned SCOTUS for addressing the lawsuit's merits without any basis in reality. And then, is France on the brink of civil war or is it like just another Monday there? But that's what's being asked after France has been rocked by nearly a week of constant protests that started after police shot and killed 17-year-old Nell Marzouk. And we pretty clearly know the details around the shooting because there is clear footage. Marzouk was stopped in a car and police were leaning into the driver's side. And for whatever reason, he tries to leave despite the police being there and they shot. With officers initially claiming the kid tried to ram them, but the footage clearly indicating otherwise. Which is why local and federal prosecutors were very quick to launch investigations and recommended voluntary homicide charges against the shooting officer. However, the protests sparked by this killing have morphed from anger over Marzouk's killing into anger over how many migrant communities feel they're treated by police. Where shootings by police used to be extremely rare, and while there's still a far cry from how often it happens here in the States, it's on the rise in France. And the anger over the perception that they're treated unfairly is translated into massive protests where thousands have taken part. And unfortunately, it hasn't always been peaceful either. In many neighborhoods and cities, cars have been set on fire, looting has occurred, as well as things like clashing with security forces. And we're not talking about like a, a few hundred officers being deployed. So far, the Interior Ministry has sent out more than 45,000 across the country. But despite their presence, protests and clashes have continued, and since last Tuesday, over 2,000 people have been detained. It's also believed that the damage has been extensive as people take advantage of the chaos to just kind of be destructive assholes rather than actually protesting Marzouk's killing. With just the reported cost to replace municipal CCTV coming in at nearly $22 million, let alone everything else that's been destroyed. And it's because of this, as well as shocking images of buildings on fire, that many conservatives both within France and abroad have reshaped the narratives around the protests. Right? Instead of being about a large minority group's grievances with how they see themselves being treated by the authorities, the narrative that some are pushing is that this is some kind of uprising against France by migrants in the first sign that it's doomed. Right? I mean, you just look on Twitter, hashtag France has fallen, picking up a lot of steam, leading to tweets like, France has fallen in a few years, it will become the first Islamic Republic in Europe. And actually, it's not surprising that tweets by Paul Golding have been at the forefront of the hashtags as he's the leader of Britain First, a very far-right party that's extremely anti-immigrant. And what's worse is that a lot of the images and videos being thrown around by the people claiming that France is on the brink of collapse are just flat-out misinformation. Things like this video of a large building burning with the text, this is what globalism and mass third-world immigration did to Western civilizations, if that is actually from Dubai. Though to be very clear, that is not to say that fires, looting, and worse are not happening. They absolutely are, and the most shocking thing was an attack on the house of Paris's mayor, something that's even been described as an assassination attempt. But outside of that, which has been described as an outlier by experts, which most in France have condemned, the scale of the destruction is not nearly at the scale that France isn't used to. Right? When it comes to France, huge protests are not uncommon. In fact, they happen so often that it's a joke that it's a national sport there. And adding to the complexity of the situation is that many within the Muslim migrant community within France are trying to call for peace and calm. And that includes the grandmother of the grandson's death who kicked these protests off. With her yesterday telling protesters that they should not damage the schools, not break the buses, it was the moms who take the buses. And this is French leaders are also looking for solutions with President Emmanuel Macron announcing that he would be meeting with protest leaders to understand deeply their grievances. But either way, that is where we are right now. These protests are a very big deal. It has been destructive at times. But also in this chaos, be careful what you're seeing and what you're believing. And of course, as always, we'll try to guide you through it. And that's where today's daily dive into the news is going to end. Hope you have a great rest of your day. I also hope that you have a fantastic July 4th. We'll be out for the holiday, but then right back here on Wednesday. So as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you Wednesday.